My loves, let me ask you something. Are you ready to dive deep? Or do you feel like you need some time away from the people, place, and things that make up your current life? It could be both. You're like, I need to get the fuck away from everything and everyone. And I'm also ready to take my spiritual path to the next degree, honey. Okay? Regardless of what it is, I got you. There's two legendary, amazing, delicious opportunities for us to practice together in person this year. The first one is at the iconic Omega Institute in New York, upstate New York. And the second one is in Mykonos, Greece, honey. And both of these retreats are going to be a combination of the spiritual dance practice, also known as the SAT method, also known as the spiritual workout, and Dharma talks. So let me break this down for you. The SAM method, for those of you who are like, what the fuck is that? It's a practice. Uh, it's an experience. It's a, it's, a, it's a performance art healing experience that I created um, that combines ecstatic dance, meditation, breath work, and mantra. And these four practices are here to activate, amplify, and energize the four qualities in your heart, according to Buddhist psychology, which are love, compassion, joy, and wisdom. So during the retreat... And, and upstate New York is five days, excuse me, six days, five nights. And Greece is eight days, seven nights. I'm going to tell you more about this in a second. But during the retreat, we're going to dance. We're going to dance twice a day. Okay. And dance as much as you want. Move as much as you want. But the whole purpose of the, of the movement is for you to actualize what you learn during the theory part. Where we're going to sit around and I'm going to explain to you through, through the, the, my interpretation and my understanding, my studies of Buddhist psychology, I'm going to give you all that I know during that dedicated, you know, retreat time away from the people, place and things that make up your current experience. You're going to be devoted towards your heart, towards your liberation. Therefore, you're going to be able to then actualize that which you learn during theory in the dance floor. And then you're going to be, be able to bring that all back into your life once you leave the retreat. Going to retreat has been one of the best things that I've ever done for myself. It has changed my life. And you've heard, if, you, if you're a listener, uh, an avid listener to the podcast, you've heard me talk about going on retreats over and over again. If you've read my books, you know that going on spiritual retreats is how we take our practice to the next level. Oftentimes we do need to take time away from people, place, and things that make up our current life in order for us to truly discover who are we really and what is it that I want to do in my life. And maybe you're like, I already know who I am and I'm already happy with what I'm doing in my life, but you want to actually bring more joy, more bliss. You actually want to be happier, more playful, more lighthearted in more lightheartedness into your life. This retreat, these retreats are for you. You can either come to one or you can come to both. It doesn't matter. The point of the Psalm method, the spiritual workout, the spiritual dance practice is for us to say fuck off to people that says that when you are a disciplined spiritual practitioner, you become more serious. That is a lie. Okay. The truth is the deeper you become, the, the, the deeper you, you, you enter into the spiritual path and the more you're disciplined about your spiritual liberation, the more playful and lighthearted and more smiles and more humor and more laughter your life becomes filled with. Okay. So click the links in the show notes and I hope to see you at, in upstate New York at the iconic legendary Omega Institute. Uh, let me tell you the dates. Uh, upstate New York is June 19th through the 24th, okay? And Greece is um, October 8th through October 15th, okay? And if you have any questions or concerns about the retreats, when you click the link in the show notes, um, or so you can visit my Instagram bio or my TikTok bio to get all the details for the, for the retreats. If you have questions, just go onto the retreats website and, and click over there to find out how you can talk to the retreat producers. They're both amazing powerhouse companies that are producing my retreats. They will be able to help you with anything you need, okay? I love you all so much, and I cannot wait to practice with you and get free with you. Love you. Peace.
My loves, hi, welcome back to a new episode of the Spiritually Sassy Show. I, first of all, let me tell you, my raspy voice, honey, hi, it is due to a lot of primal scream therapy, honey, and I will not stop. <laughs> Listen, focus. Let's talk about today's guest and today's episode because I am so profoundly honored and so grateful that this happened. Oh my God, like, oh, I'm just like, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for these opportunities in life. Ah, so today's guest, let's talk about our guest today, Peggy Callahan. Um, Peggy Callahan, what a beautiful name, is an award-winning filmmaker and human rights activist. She was honored to capture the life-changing conversations between His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and his mischievous brother, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, that inspired the film Mission Joy. Finding Happiness in Troubled Times. So I came on to getting to know about Peggy and her work and all the things after I watched this film, Mission Joy. And I was like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> we need to talk about this film. We need to talk about who you are, all the things. And we need to share this film with all of our community. And if you're listening to this, you're going to have access to the film. Okay, so don't worry about it. Um, so Peggy served as the co-director and producer on this incredible film that literally inspired me so much. And it just reminded me that the spiritually sassy path, you know, in the book, in the show, in everything I do, we're constantly speaking about joy. Find your joy, go towards your joy when you are, when you are on a path of liberation. You know, don't get into the zombie Zen style, but get into the spiritually sassy style or where joy is your default. And when I saw this film, I was like, oh, wow, okay, I'm walking in the right direction. This is exactly it. These two holy men who've done, who've literally changed culture, who are who are who are actively. One has passed, the other one's still here, but beyond their physical bodies, their, their, their life's work and mission and legacy will continue to change culture way longer for, for, a, for, for a very much longer after they've gone. And a huge part of their work is joy. And I'm like, a huge part of my work is joy. And I'm not saying by any means, honey, I'm at, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Don't, I'm not, this is not a, we're not in this, no. The, these holy men are like what I aspire to be able to, to be a fraction of what they of what they are and have been. But it's incredible to have these models. You know, I feel like with so much of what I've been sharing, um, sometimes I, I find that, um, you know, we don't have models and, and, and it's, it's very jarring and it's, you know, spiritually sassy is, is bold, is joyful, it's loud, it's playful. Anyways, anyways, let me share a little bit more about Peggy. Peggy's also uh, the co-founder of Voices for Freedom and Free the Slaves, two international nonprofits dedicated to ending modern-day slavery in our lifetime. Enjoy this episode, and I love you all so much, so, so much. Well, today we have someone that I'm so deeply inspired by, Peggy. Welcome to the show, my darling. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and we were just talking before we got on the record about like, what does it mean to be in integrity and be in alignment? Because, you know, as you know, Peggy was in the room with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And like I was saying to her, it's like, you don't just get to be in a room like that because you're you make great art or you you are a great performer at this and this There's, the outer expression is wonderful but i believe that to be in a room with two holy you know beings with people who are actually like sanctifying planet earth and bringing radical love to to planet earth like and i you know i'm speaking from a buddhist uh, understanding it's like you have to have the right karma to be in that room honey you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> So oh, talk to me really, about that. Really, really, really lucky. <laughs> well, <laughs> in Buddhism, we say there's no luck, you know? So right. I, I just have to translate it through that view. Right. Um, so to, talk to me about that. Like, we spoke about alignment and you started to get, you know, uh, poetic and prophesizing. I was like, uh-uh, let's go on a record, honey. Go, stop right there. Let's go. So talk to us about that. Like, 
there are certain things that like, what is it like when you, you said, when I'm in alignment, I know when I'm not, I know also. And then I, I was like, let's record. Okay. I think we probably feel this in many ways the same. I, I, I know that when I'm in alignment um, and I know when I step out and I visualize it, it's like there's this golden tube of light coming down. Mm-hmm. And my job is to stand in the middle of that damn tube and not, not move out. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I start getting my little feet to the edge of it and then stepping out, you can feel the discord inside of you. Mm. And when you're in the middle of it, it feels so on purpose and so right and so effortless so much of the time. But it also requires things of you. It requires you to be more truthful, have more integrity, and that impacts everything in your life. Relationships, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. relationships a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. 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 At least yeah. I feel it that way. What about, does that feel true? Yeah, a hundred percent. And 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 the reason why you know, and and full transparency with everyone listening. The conversation started because I said to you, I said to you, Peggy, that I, I'm great, I'm amazing, everything's beautiful, and I'm also just like, kind of like having a little bit of like a, you know, like a little bit of just like oh, because I have a couple friends of mine who I I love and adore, and I'm just noticing that their wellness and spirituality it's very performative. There's lacking integrity. It's lacking. This, the, the, what you said, like being in that flow and what it's required of us is more truth, more vulnerability. And, and I'm just noticing how them being an out of integrity and performing integrity, is this making sense? They're not an integrity, but they perform integrity. They speak to it. They write about it, all the things. And I'm just over here observing it and being like, okay, I'm now entering to judgment zone. I don't want to be in judgment because that creates every moment of judgment has a consequence. And I don't want the consequence of every moment of judgment that I've been judging them because they're also loving and sweet and generous and kind and all the things. But for the kind of life that I want to lead and for the kinds of karma that I want to create, right now they are not part of it. And I need to just kind of like slowly find the the transparency and the vulnerability and the extreme sweetness and kindness and tenderness like the like the mother, you know, like a mother, but I'm talking about the heavenly mother or like in Buddhism we call Tara, to be able to communicate to them that right now um, I need space. And I'm just trying to see if like, do I say that we need space right now and then let them know why I'm taking the space? I have a friend of mine who gave me advice earlier today and she said, no, you just need to take space right now because they just are not in congruency with what you're creating. You need to take space immediately. And then later, once you have spacious awareness, and you have more emotional capacity, then you can communicate to them. But right now, just take space. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to take space and, and just go into the silence, you know? So that's where I'm like navigating right now. But anyways, this show's not about me, honey. It's about you. <laughs> Let's talk about you. Okay, listen, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing this up for me too. It's, it's giving me an opportunity to like really uh, reflect. And reflecting on the record is incredible because... It just here you are. It's your it's your truth is is recorded, right? But the first question I ask every guest is, who are you right now? Wow. Um, I th- I think right now, <laughs> and this changes over at, at different times. At this moment. I am on a mission, man. I am on a mission to help the world have more joy. Mm-hmm. Where 40% of us are, are anxious, depressed mm-hmm. on a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, the world needs some help, man. Mm-hmm. And I did get to be in the room with the Dalai Lama. I'm going to do the... Um, 
<laughs> what is it in the room? Yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about it. <laughs> I began to be in the room, and um, I was trying to do Hamilton, but I couldn't remember all the words. Um, I did get to be in the room with them, and um, and their last big act together, His Holiness and the Dalai Lama. I mean, His Holiness and Archbishop Desmond Tutu mm-hmm. um, was to talk about joy. And how we can live in joy, mm-hmm. even during really troubled times. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the message of the film is incredible. It's like literally, I was like, I was electrified by it. Like, oh my God. And when I got to know you and I said, okay, you know, she's not only the director, but like you are actually like an embodiment of it too. You exude joy. And there is this like, you know, I, I like to call it, uh, as Dr. Lisa Miller, this neuroscientist from Columbia, she talks about we have these like picnic uh, blankets that we cast out. And I like to think of your picnic blanket as one that's filled with joy and play and laughter, you know? Um, so tell us about what is it like being behind the scenes in that place? I'm like, oh my God, that's a dream for me, you know? <laughs> it was... It was astonishing. Even when, you know, I'm working, we're running five cameras. That's right. <laughs> and so there's a part of you that's always, mm-hmm. well, what's that mm-hmm. shot look like? And can we, <laughs> but that, you know, it's my job. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can't make any, any mistakes. So the, behind the scenes, I can tell you all kinds of stories. You tell me when you want to hear a different one. Oh my God, please go off. Whatever comes <laughs> up for you, tell me. Because like I was, I've been looking forward to this to this episode, to recording this with you, my love, for a while. Ever since we talked about it when I was still in Bali and I got to meet you. And I believe it's the impact officer. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you guys are like. You guys are it. You guys, are, I love what, what I hear sometimes, like the cats meow. It's like, wow, I just want to spend time with you and do all the things, you know? So share, go off. This is okay. your show, my love. So from, from the beginning, right, my um, dear, dear friend, uh, I call him a brother by a different mother, mm-hmm. um, or Arches, a uh, six foot six Jewish son. I just love Doug Abrams. And he was um, organizing to to write this book with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu about joy. And he says, do you want to come? I work in India a lot already. So he goes, do you want to come to India and and shoot these dialogues that are going to be for the movie in the Dalai Lama's compound? And I was like, duh, of course I do. Oh, and you'll relate to this. I had just decided like five days earlier, I was a little frustrated with something at work. And I just said, mm, I'm done with this right now. I, I just want to go do another documentary because I go back and forth between different things. And he, my friend calls me on Thanksgiving day and says, call me, you're going to love me forever. And um, I called him. I'm like, I'm going to love you forever anyway. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, so we did that. And then people, we flew in, people, uh-huh. we had crews from uh, three different continents. We had monks running some cameras. We had equipment shipped in from 12 hours away by truck in Delhi, because now we're up in the mountains. That's right. And if any single thing went wrong, we couldn't fix it. We didn't have the equipment. We just had what we had there. And we would waste so much time with the holy men. And um, it was the most beautiful thing to witness, to watch them laugh and tease and crack each other up Mm -hmm. and then take these astonishing deep dives into deep sorrow, things that had been quite difficult for them. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, both of these men mm-hmm. were perfect men to talk about joy in troubled times. And they were perfect because so many of us, if people said that to us, well, I know it kind of sucks right now, but really, you know, you, you could still have some joy. We'd be going, yeah, you, you don't even know. 
Mm-hmm. You don't even know what I'm going through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they do. Mm-hmm. Because if you hear these men's stories, mm-hmm. they have been to hell and back several times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Dalai Lama didn't believe in hell, but let's just pretend he did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had condos there for a while. Mm-hmm. But when they say, you have agency over joy, you mm-hmm. can create joy. You don't have to wait for it to land on your shoulder and kiss you on the cheek, right? There are things you can do. Mm-hmm. And between all the laughter in the film, between watching and seeing the deep love they have for one another, it, it is the sweetest thing. Uh, you really get information, you know, that our humanity is always bigger than our differences. Mm. Um, we see that joy is an inside kind of out job mm-hmm. that joy and pain are inseparable mm. and that's that's what we started talking about this morning I mean mm-hmm. even as we got joy and pain are inseparable mm-hmm. and um, I'm doing quite the dance with that lately mm-hmm. right and um, and our connectedness mm-hmm. our deep love and connectedness mm-hmm. is the mother load of joy, right? Mm-hmm. So you see, they want you to know that. And we show it to you. We don't preach at you in the film, but, but you certainly understand what having a per- sense of perspective is. Mm-hmm. You know, those things that you thought were so awful when they happened, and then, and then you realize that that happened and that actually was for the good. And gratitude that when we can remain grateful, in the midst of the storm. Mm, that's a hard one. Yeah, it is really hard. But you know what? I Just having been around them for a while, the minute I think I'm going to blow up in a not pretty way, <laughs> <laughs> in a really bad way, I, if I can just close my eyes and start counting the things I'm grateful for, mm. it pulls me back from the ledge. Mm. And of course... The first person you help when you help someone else is yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They really show you that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you think you were able to get two things like, because um, I like to think about like being in the presence of holy, of holy beings um, and, you know, and also ordinary folks like us working on, on our, on our mental health, working on our heart, working on our bodies, working on our relationships, you know, helping the world. That we have this this nonverbal uh, uh, capacity to change the temperature of the rooms that we're in. Did you feel like the temperature of the room was psychologically like, you know, like a spring day in California where it's, you know what I mean? I mean, you're in California, I'm in California, we know what it's like. It's just like you can't even begin to describe the weather's perfect you know your body feels so at ease in this kind of weather but now how do we translate that from a psychological and spiritual perspective do you think that being in that room you not only heard all this incredible things that i got to watch in the movie but you recorded hours and hours and hours and you only gave us i forgot maybe an hour and some for the movie you know and so two things like you've learned things intellectually of course but do you felt like you're, there was something happening in your spiritual heart just by being around these holy men? Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you would feel a shift. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, I am working. I am watching five cameras the whole time. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so a lot of it came in retrospect, you know, like, oh, Oh, that. Um, and you know what I really noticed? Mm. I've been um, very lucky and grateful to work with visionaries, mm-hmm. people who are really doing astonishing things to help change the world. And many visionaries, while they are all, all of them are working kind of deep inside out, right? I. Many visionaries are visionaries, in fact, because they're trying to climb outside of themselves. It's uncomfortable in there. (laughs) 
and they have good hearts and they want to change the world, but they need to get out. And, and they do change the world. They do. They just don't have any fun doing it. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Arch always says, if you, if you want to do things to change the world, you have to do it with joy. You have to do it with love. It has to be with fun because you actually need people to help you do that. And nobody's going to want to help you. (laughs) If they can't feel that and see that and learn that and walk that with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are visionaries like Arch and his holiness and they are so completely in alignment. They laugh full. They art will cry fully when you know before he passed. Um, it's all in alignment. Mm-hmm. If they're grumpy, they're grumpy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't have to guess. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's this sense of pureness. Mm-hmm. And they stay in that golden, mm-hmm. in that golden light mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I experienced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that because it's like, you know, sometimes it kind of goes back to this like performative spirituality and performative um, uh, wellness. And and I, my first encounter with His Holiness Dalai Lama was in the spring of 2014. I had just done a 10-day silent retreat in Dharamsala. And there was a little talk in the town in McLeod Gunge, which I believe is where you guys were, uh-huh. in the temple, right? And I am, you know, rushing to get this, to get this uh, um, clearance from the government that I can attend this talk. And then we attend a talk at the temple in the courtyard. And I'm tired, and it was my first time in India, and all the things, and I'm, and then I'm just like looking around, and I'm not even paying attention to the words that he's saying because I'm so in awe that that's like that's his holiness Dalai Lama right there, you know? Like, wow, oh my god! And I just like shift my 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 mind, but it's my attention from the outside world, and I go inside, and I'm, and I didn't even have, and I didn't even have the language to say, oh, I'm turning my attention inside. It was just, I just noticed that my internal world was so peaceful, that my my insatiable, critical, judgmental uh, narrative of thoughts that are constantly playing out in my mind, they kind of subsided, they kind of went silent. And I looked at my friend, I was like, is there something in the air? Did you put something in this water? Because like, what is happening? And then later, later looking back, I realized that it's the presence of people who are literally living in alignment and living in so much congruency with their heart's values. And Arch uh, Desmond Tutu would say incongruency and, and connection with God. Dalai Lama would say, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, putting words in these, I'm just from my own ignorant perspective, from like Christian mystic and a Buddhist mystic, right? I believe one would say the Christian mystic, I'm living in alignment with God. And the Buddhist mystic would say, I'm living in alignment with my Buddha nature, my true enlightened uh, uh, quality that lives inside of my heart, you know? And it does have this this massive impact, you know? And and Dr. Lisa Millard, um, who was just on a podcast and I've had her, um, I've interviewed her twice for my new book, she was saying that it will take 2% of people who are living in alignment in that kind of degree of alignment, in that kind of, in that, in that, kind of, in that depth of radical lovingness, it will, it will take 2% of people living in that state for us to change the entire state of the world. 2%. So that's 140 million people that we need living like you are, like I am, like this moon, like Dalai Lama, um, for us to be able to actually completely change the consciousness of planet Earth. And so I hear these things and it's like, I love when the science, um, you know, supports the, the the spiritual practice and how we can actually use one, one uh, philosophy to support the other. And then all of them are here for the greater good of all beings, you know. I went a little bit of a of a rant there. <laughs> no, and you know what? Um, I wanted, I really wanted Lisa Miller in the in the film. Uh, we wanted to put more science in the film, and you know, the Dalai Lama, in truth, I, if he wasn't the Dalai Lama, would have probably been a scientist or an engineer. And you know, he started organizations that are all about studying 
science of consciousness, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why they told us to check it out. Don't take our word for it. And as you study it, of course, um, ancient wisdom, hmm, our learned experience, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> science is proving it all. Science is a little late to the game. That's right. But they're proving it all. And that's in the film. And that's also in this project, you know, we've done with Big Joy, yeah. where it operationalizes the film and like Berkeley and UCLA. Talk to us about this, because that, when I heard that you guys are doing this, I was like, of course you are, Peggy, naturally. You're taking <laughs> this. If the film is not fabulous and iconic and extraordinary enough, here's this whole <laughs> other part to it. So talk to us about the Big Joy project, because that is like, Excuse me. And I'm so excited that everyone, you know, this is going to be in the show notes and we're going to send this out to everybody too. So talk to us about it. Like explain to us the ins and outs of this. I think this is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So um, we created this quite by happenstance, right? Uh, It's like a lot of things happen with this film. It wanted to be. And and these holy men have their very own gravitational force is all I can tell you. Stuff happens. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what we wanted to do and still want to do as we're as we're getting the word out there. So, you know, I told you these guys wanted me to to put these ideas out there, um, regardless of people's ability to pay. And that's what we've done. And that's what you're going to be a part of. And that's what mm-hmm. Big Joy is part of. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we were going to do a social action campaign. I didn't want to do social media. I don't really care about social media. I care if you act. Mm. Right? Yeah, you need to act. That's right. So we wanted people to do these, um, get high-profile um, values-aligned people to go on social media and say, <clears throat> You know, sometimes when my life is sucking out loud and I'm trying to figure out how to feel better, I remember if I help someone else, the first person I help is myself. Mm-hmm. So it turns out science proves that to be true also. And so if you're feeling good today, you want to feel better, or if you feel really bad, why don't you go out and even if it's just smiling at someone, do an act of kindness and come back here in the comments mm-hmm. and tell us what you did. Share. Mm-hmm. And if you did it with a friend or a friend helped you, tag them and tell them how important it is. Mm-hmm. Because then we would get people to practice things and we would do gratitude. We would do a bunch of different things that we know work, right, from science. Right. We would do that so that you know how when you're when you're hit with something and you feel low and you feel like you can't get up, you want to have learned experience that has seeped into your spirit, into your soul. When I'm getting my ass kicked, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me do this. I know it will help at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I was telling a friend about that in a great campaigner, an amazing human being, Jamie Drummond, in London about it. And he said, why don't you do a citizen science project, which is um, crowdsourcing science. Because what we know about uh, joy is that there are all these acts that can help you feel better, but we don't know how gender, age, culture impacts it. So if we could do a huge project that helps make people feel better and expands astronomically the science around it, um, from all over the world, mm-hmm. that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, we, I, I, I wrote a friend of mine, Alyssa Apple, who's an amazing scientist at UCSF, and um, said, do you think we could do this? And she wrote back, I think literally the next day, and said, yes, here's how we could do it. And Harvard is on board, as is Berkeley. And... I mean, I'm telling you, gravitational pull. So now, if you wanted to, if if you want to try this out for yourself, it literally takes seven minutes a day for seven days. Mm-hmm. It's on. It's it's like you can you can put it in your notes, but missionjoy.org forward slash big joy, 
at the end of the seven days is so cool. You get a printout of it's of the data, your data of what works for you, how much you increased your joy level, what works for you, how many other people in the world are doing this. Wow. It is very cool. And by the way, it's free. Um, so amazing. Because the holy men want people to know this stuff. Wow. So come play. <laughs> I will. And everyone listening, let's go do this seven minutes a day for seven days. It's like a self-analysis. It's like a self-reflective tool that will actually show you how to increase your joy. And I love what you said. I just want to reflect on this too, because oftentimes when I'm telling my story, I remember, you know, uh, being at a really, really low point, contemplating, unaliving myself. And I had one of my teachers a South Indian uh, saint show up in my mind, uh, like a vision, like a prophetic vision. And she said, if you want for this suicidal depression to go away, go be of service. And I was like, arguing with a with a, a prophecy, arguing with the saint, you know, appearing to you. And I was like, you want me to go be of help? Like, I can even help myself. I'm like, literally at the lowest low, I have nothing to offer. And then, you know, she poof, disappeared mystical experience okay clock mystical experience done amazing a week goes by and i'm still like really in the in the thick of it like hurting 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 psychologically so bad that my body was then starting to to crumble too digestive issues respiratory issues headaches i mean all you name it the whole thing the whole connection right and then i say okay i'm gonna go to the supermarket i'm gonna buy stuff to make a sandwich for 20 people. I've, I usually drive by this park where I see a, a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of unhoused people um, uh, camping there. So I decide to go there and I bring the sandwiches there. And I'm in such a state of like, of, 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 of like, of sympathetic, like my, uh, not a, not as, not a sympathetic being, empathetic being, compassionate being. Like my, my nervous system was so shot that I was like afraid of being around other people. But as I walked around them and I gave my, I gave these sandwiches that I wrote these really sweet little mantras on them and I prayed over all the food. It's, it's not to say that that was like the miracle pill that cured my suicidal depression. No, but that gave me uh, uh, an, an ounce and it was a big enough uh, ounce it was enough spacious awareness to see it differently and now all of a sudden I could see the thunderstorm happening but I could also see that there's a rainbow and I could also see that the sun was still there and I could also like not have my entire body under the under the the rain I could just have you know my feet and maybe both both of my hands, you know, instead of like being completely immersed in it, that gave me just enough spacious awareness to realize the power of service. You want to find God, go be of service. You want to find joy, go be of service. You want to change your psychological and, and biological state of being, go be of service. And now you're bringing this entire incredible scientific research, plus this amazing film with two holy men who have changed the culture of planet Earth and will continue to after they, they, they die. Desmond, you know, God bless, has passed. Uh, Desmond Tutu has passed. Dalai Lama, hopefully, you know, long life, long life. Um, and, but I'm just, it's just, I just wanted to emphasize what you're saying, Peggy, because it's so amazing that you're saying like, hey, you want to feel a little bit better? Go be of service, you know, helping other people. how you help yourself. You know what? Um, that was a big thing I grew up with, right? My, my mom um, would do things that maybe looked a little unreasonable. And I, yeah. I, I, I now believe that kind of everything I do that's either fighting slavery or this film or whatever is, is an act of unreasonable love. It is unreasonable and it's astonishing. Um, but I really do believe from what I grew up with that service really is that old saying, service is the rent you pay on earth. Mm. And, and it's quite selfish mm. because the first person you help when you're in, self, in service is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I am happy to tell you, I am a selfish person. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
That is so beautiful. Thank you for saying that, my love. Yeah. Talk to us about the ending slavery thing, because um, thing, this enormous issue that I, I just got um, acquainted to it not too long ago. And I think we talked a little bit about it when we were catching up in Bali a few months ago. But talk to us about this. And God bless your mom for, for leading the way and, and paving the path in this way. My parents, too, they've always were, I love the language they use, unreasonable lovers. Let's use that even further. They were un, unreasonable. Like, in reason, if you look, it's like, oh, no, I don't, they don't deserve my love. But when it's unreasonable, it's what we call radical loving. You really are bringing love to where love is not, you know, because it's too easy to like to like someone who likes us, to love somebody who loves us. Like, bring the love where the love is not. Let's see. And that, I believe, is literally like the catalyst for cracking the heart wide open and for you to experience these, like, beautiful states of mind, of deep connection and interconnection and, and you know, glimpses of, of what the Buddhists call, I believe, this the samadhi states, enlightened states, where you really see all of it, see beauty in all of it. It's like, wow. You know, so but but coming back to you, my love, let's talk about the two known prophets that you that you have. They're dedicated to ending modern day slavery um, and give us a little bit of background, because I'm 35 and I like to think that, like, I know what's happening in the world. I'm kind of clueless for a lot of things. But, you know, when I started to know about slave modern day slavery, I was like, <gasps> so give educate us um, a little background. I was a reporter, news reporter, and and producer for many years. And I, what I covered were, were always social justice issues, just because that's what interests me. So you know, I was hanging out on Skid Row or Death Row mm -hmm. <laughs> or farmers, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> and I picked up a book one time when I think I was I was in Berkeley. And a guy had written a book about modern day slavery, Kevin Bales. He's an amazing guy. Just, uh, we've been friends ever since. So I called him and said, we need to start a worldwide movement and yada, yada, yada. And he said, well, I'm part of Anti-Slavery International and they've worked on this for 400 years. And I was such an unreasonable person. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, but I, I haven't heard about it. And I look for these stories. So I think more needs to be done. Right? We, we, so we started an organization along with Jolene, who you met. Yes. Maybe. And what we found out that, um, well, now there's 40.3 million people in slavery in the world. And I'm not talking about people who can't pay the rent. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about forced to work without pay beyond subsistence. So that is like you get paid just in food, just enough to help you live another day, to work another day, right? Um, so forced to work without pay, under threat of violence, and unable to walk away. And it's like there's a chain around your brain 40 million people, you said, right? 40, 40 million. million people are living like that. And Do we hear this? Let, like, let this, I'm sorry, let, let me just like take a moment. Like, let's not brush by this. 40 million people are forced into slavery. Where they, I just have to rephrase, like, just reemphasize because you're in the, you're in the work, Peggy. Like, I believe me and a lot of people who are listening to this are like, no, I hear about slavery, but it's like really 40 million. Yes, like it is 40 million people who are captured, enslaved. They own, as you said, Peggy, I'm going to use your words. I'm just going to say it again. They are only given enough food so they can live another day to work another day. Like, excuse me, I, I'm, I've, make, I've been making a concerted effort to not curse in a podcast but holy fucking shit. It makes me so angry. <sighs> okay, take it away. Mm. And it comes in many different forms, right? And, and, and it shows up in different cultures in different ways. We have it in the United States. No one is exempt from this. Mm -hmm. um, it impacts girls and women more. Usually um, it's around 29% male and 71% 
female. And you, you, you should just know there's so many studies and there's so much work going on on this. And it's not like, you know, you can just walk around and say, oh, uh, enslaved, 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 not enslaved. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a huge thing and it takes a lot of research to do this. That's right. And the part where um, our team is working now, we're working in one of the toughest places in the world um, in modern day slavery, and that's in India. And where we're working, and you have to pick, you know, if we wanted to do it in a place that was really hard, so if we could prove you could have an impact here, that's right. Then big organizations could come in and and do ever more, right? Because mm-hmm. we're we're a small organization, but um, where we're working, entire villages are enslaved, and many times they didn't even know they were in slavery because they're a very low caste. Um, often, where we're working, they're they're the uh, mushar caste or the rat eaters is what they're called. And, and they work for the local landowner and how they, this powerful person, and, and often how they became enslaved is their children needed some money for medicine. And so they go to the only person who has it, the landowner, and says, can I, can I borrow some money to, get, to help my child? And that's how they become enslaved. And it's all illegal because... Then the slaveholder, now these people are illiterate and innumerate who are asking for the money. And they're just grateful that they got to save their child's life if they did, right? And and it may only be $30 they asked for. But for that, their entire family is enslaved and forced to work for the the landowner. Because it's not like me going to you and say, could I just borrow... $30 $30 and I'm going to, um, I'll pay you back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, first you never, you can never pay it back because your work by working, or let me work for you for a day or something. Mm-hmm. Your work is just your collateral. Mm-hmm. It's not, it does not pay the bill, mm-hmm. which is of course illegal. And then they add uh, uh, interest in this and that on top of it, also illegal. So that entire families have been enslaved, passed down from generation to generation to generation. So we go in with these astonishing partners on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, And no blonde hair girl goes in for a long time. (laughs) It's it's people on the ground in India. Mm -hmm. And and they start by saying, Hmm. looks like you're working really hard. Yeah. Do you like your job? Oh, you hate your job. Why don't you quit? Oh, you can't quit. Oh. Do you like your boss? Oh, he beats you. Oh. Do you make any money? Oh, you don't make any money. Oh. You've worked your whole life and your children are having to work. We know what it sounds like you're enslaved. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very intimate conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And they, it starts to dawn on them. And then we offer these schools in each little village. We offer a school, and we look like do-gooders just coming in to help out. <laughs> and, and, the really, and the little kids in the village um, are often in the way of all the work going on, right? They're forced to work, but, you know, they're interrupting their parents and all kinds of stuff. So we go in with these schools, and the schools are the Trojan horses that carry all the information people need to free themselves. And it is so fantastic. And we start out with the kids and we make sure that they get a hot lunch every day. And they, we fill up their plates because it might be the only food they get that day, which encourages the kids and the parents to support the school. Mm-hmm. And then we start with the parents and we help them organize and learn their rights. We help them get 19 access, 19 different programs that are for poor people in India, but poor people don't know how to access them. Mm -hmm. So they get like, it's like if we didn't have a driver's license here or a birth certificate, we help them get ID. We help them um, learn how to access this and that, about widow's rights and all kinds of stuff. That's right. And, And usually in about two years, everyone in the village is free. 
but we stay for three years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just to reinforce that the parents have learned to unite and to stand up for freedom. If mm-hmm. one of them stands up, they're going to die. That's just true. If they stand up together, they're going to win because it's illegal in the first place. Right? That's right. It, and it, they are the bravest people I've ever met in my life. And so at the end of three years, these kids are up to grade level. They have transferred to local Indian schools to continue their education. They're also sturdier psychologically and emotionally because they are still going to be teased for being a lower caste, for being this group. But now they're like, yeah, you know, look at the hand. We don't care. Mm -hmm. That's Um, right. And now people who have come to freedom have been elected to office. Not only do they have agency over their own lives, they have agency in their community and helping the government decide what needs to happen next. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. And one final thing I'll leave you alone. So we have 50 no, of this those. This is so amazing. Here. I'm like, oh my God, I want to come with you. Can I please you help? Can. <laughs> you can. And we, uh, we now have 50 of these schools. Wow, honey. 4,844 people are already free. Another 1,300 are coming to freedom. More than 2,500 kids have been educated. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest, it is the greatest honor ever and the biggest unreasonable love ever. Mm-hmm. And when you hear the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu laugh, you know that pure, unadulterated joy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other place I hear it most often, when people realize that their future is going to be so much better than their past and that they are free. Wow. That's so beautiful, Peggy. Thank you so much. And and this leads me to ask you one of the questions. I have a few questions that I have that have that I have to ask every guest. It's like what has been one of the what 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 has perhaps been one of the most uh, mystical experience that you've ever had, you know, because the, from the work you've done, you've always been at the sort of like at the like right there when like it's just you're you're. I feel like you're always at the right place at the right time, and like perhaps in the most traumatic place, but perhaps in the most visionary places. Like, is there a mystical experience that you feel comfortable sharing with us? And the variety goes from oh yeah, you know the 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 dark Madonna appeared in my living room and we <laughs> and she gave me this this and that you know it could be that or it could be I was walking in the forest and I saw a light or it could just be I had this you know prophetic dream or whatever and and I felt the presence of my mom I don't know if your mom's still around you know I'm just like don't right. feel it's like this the the scope of it is is everything. It could be a feather appeared in my dashboard of my car when I was looking for a sign. Whatever, you know, just far and wide. It's not going to sound... It's, it is not beautiful like the ones you're talking about. <laughs> I will say I that. To give it a bit. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, it's not beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is meaningful, though. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. I mean, I can tell you a beautiful one instead of the one I would tell you. No, no. Tell me the first <laughs> one that came up. I think, I mean, look, do you, my love. This is, this is, we're, we're here okay. to support you. But I feel like if the first one that is not beautiful, but it's meaningful, I'm going to say, if it's meaningful, then it's beautiful, you know? Okay. But you tell me. Okay. <laughs> and so thank you for I, being open to share, my love. That's the most important thing. So I was working as a reporter in Texas. And I, uh, I had flown down to Texas because someone was going to be executed. Someone who I had, uh, so I, to the walls unit, which is where they execute people in Texas. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it's a ritual. It's all, it is a, it's very ritualized. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there are people chanting anti- anti-death um, penalty stuff. And then there are people who are chanting, like, this guy did horrible things, get rid of him. And um, and I, I did my story. I did my job. And I was flying home in, in a little private plane in the clouds. The clouds were beautiful, and it was so gorgeous. And I felt 
I was exhausted and emotionally wrung out. And I, I just felt this intense beauty that was life-giving after watching life being taken away, right? And then it just hit me. This is the not so pretty. <laughs> I have just been paid overtime to watch someone get murdered. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. I think that everything we live and see and do in our life gets stored somewhere in our body. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was done with storing so much that was so painful. And I do, I do believe you need to do that. I do believe we need witnesses. I do believe I want to tell the story of people in slavery. I do believe I want to tell the story of people who don't have homes. I do believe all of those things. And, mm-hmm. and I knew for me, I needed to take a little break. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it started out this mystical kind of floating in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And it ended up going, oh, hell no. <laughs> it was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. I love this story. Thank you, Peggy. So mm, oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. And then I, I also have to ask, and this is kind of just like it fits right into all of it. It's like, you know, with your with your work, <clears throat> In, in, in ending modern day slavery in your own life with the work with these holy men as a reporter covering uh, people in death row and all these kinds of different, like very, very harsh realities. What have you seen as the role of forgiveness in all of this? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I've seen that forgiveness is the only thing that can really set you free. And you are not doing it for someone else, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You are doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a great gift to give yourself. Yeah. Um, and as Art would say, anyone who thinks forgiving is easy, hadn't tried it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, Forgiveness is everything. It is. Have you experienced that in your life? Oh my God. That's why it's like a question that's a vital question for every guest. It's because forgiveness has been the catalyst to presence for me. You know, I had a spiritual master, one of my first meditation masters, like, be present, so I come back into come back into the present moment. And I would close my eyes, my past would haunt me. And I had no I had no bridge from the past into the presence, you know, into the present moment to experience presence. And that bridge was only formed and created, or I should say the bridge was always there, but the only way that I could cross that bridge without without knowing how, which direction it was the bridge, the torch that gave me the light to be able to walk across that bridge from the past into the present moment was forgiveness, was when I actually learned how to forgive, was the, was the time. And, and the way that forgiveness played a role for me was growing up with shame, being a person of color and a queer person, <clears throat> I had this like really, really intoxicating, debilitating, crippling shame Feeling like I'm a mistake, I'm bad, I'm broken, everything I do is wrong, I don't deserve to be alive, blah, blah, blah. So when I carried myself with this mindset, then every mistake I made, big or small, I would always think, I would always like blow it out of proportion to the point that I said, you know, there's, see, you always make these mistakes. There's no point of you being alive. You should just unalive yourself. There's no purpose, you know? Um, and it wasn't until I started to to study compassion and study Buddhism and, and learn about forgiveness and that I was able to go beyond, you know, uh, 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 you know, these are some of the main things and this requires a whole other thing, but it was go beyond 
guilt, shame, blame, and enter into the space where the Buddhists uh, have done such a fantastic job as talking about it, but enter the space of remorse. If you've done, if you've made a mistake, feel deep regret and deep remorse, but know that regret and remorse are opening the door for you to move forward. You know, guilt and blame and shame are paralyzing and keeping you stuck and, and, and just inflaming your mind, inflaming your body. But remorse and regret with the support of forgiveness move you forward into the best, most awakened and, 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 and kinder uh, version of yourself. Um, so forgiveness has been like the catalyst, you know, depending who's asking, I say, oh, why did you end up going to this thing and, and starting your, depending who's asking, depending what the audience is, it's usually like, oh, I was struggling with depression, anxiety, addiction, whatever. But the truth of it, it's like, I never had context for forgiveness because I grew up in a society that we had a punishing God, you know, that this God up in the sky was going to come and punish me and especially me because I'm queer. Oh my God. I'm like a... You know, I, I should not be, you know, I'm not meant to be here. Um, so, you know, forgiveness is, is like a catalyst for it. And, you know, people have seen me doing the, the, the forgiveness um, art practice with Cardi B. Uh, on, and, and that went super, super ultra viral because I think we're touching at something that's underneath the surface that is obvious, but we don't want to believe it's obvious. It's what you said, Peggy. Forgiveness is a gift to ourselves. We think that forgiveness will come in relationship to another person, but it's a deeply personal practice that it is individuated and it is independent, but then it becomes interdependent and it impacts the collective fabric that we're in after the fact that you've done the work of repairing between your mind and your heart. And again, I went on a whole rant there, honey, because you can't ask me a question. Because no, you do. No, but, you know, this whole, here's another tricky thing, I think, with forgiveness. You know, when you're coming clear and coming um, truthful and, you know, as Rumi says, one of my favorite quotes from Rumi is, you know, when you do things from your soul, you feel a river, uh, you're, you're, you're moving in a river, a river moving in you. One moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that quote, and I'm just not doing it. Like when you do things from your soul, you feel a river moving in you, a joy. Mm -hmm. right? But if you are, if you are used to feeling bad, if if that is the way you operate in the world, and something different is offered, and you decide to access life in a different way. It can be beautiful and wonderful and astonishing and the best thing ever. It can also be really scary because you're there, not there. used to feeling that way. There. Right? And so it can almost be selfish if you don't forgive yourself mm -hmm. because you're not bringing your full gifts to the world. You are mm -hmm. not bringing your full soul to the world. And the world needs you to be you. Everyone else is taken. We need you to be you. Oh. Say it, say it loud and clear, Peggy. Thank you. And that reminds me of something that um, another Rumi quote, but first I want to just rem uh, bring about a quote from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. He says, people are so used to feeling miserable. I'm paraphrasing. Every time I'm, 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 I'm quoting a saint, I'm paraphrasing, okay? Because, you know, through my filter, it's going to sound sassier <laughs> and bolder, whatever. Uh, but Thich Nhat Hanh says something to the degree, very similar to what you shared. He goes, People are so we've become so familiar with 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 feeling bad and and broken and and with misery that to do to do something different it's so scary that we'd rather stay in the comfort we had to stay in the comfort of misery and it's so wild to think that that is the reality of so many of us that I was there too you know to stay in the known because you don't know what's over that hill into the unknown. That's right. And your experience so far hadn't been so hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the quote from Rumi that he says, um, he says something like, to the degrees, like, I'll meet you in that field beyond Ooh. wrongdoing and yeah. right doing, and I'll meet you there. I believe that that field that he's speaking about is the field of forgiveness, is the, is the, the, this, this, you know, place of unreasonable love, you know, or, or one may say radical loving. I love what you said, unreasonable love. I'm going to use that, Peggy. Thank you so much for that inspiration. 
So I love all of this. Okay, last question, because now we're coming up with this is it, because I feel like I could talk to you forever. So thank you, my love. Thank you. Last I, I question. I just adore you. Oh, thank you, my darling. What does it mean to you to be spiritually sassy? Spiritually sassy. What does that mean to oh, you? Oh, interesting. Because we believe every, every guest that comes on the show, we've already done our work to be like, okay, you pass. You are spiritually <laughs> sassy. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure I know. I will say this. I am completely attracted um, to that idea because I'm not so attracted um, to rules and regulations. I'm very suspicious of them. <laughs> like when people say, well, of course you should do this. Everyone does that. That is the greatest recommendation for me not, not to do it. do it. Oh my God. <laughs> so I just love the idea of spiritually sassy. And I think, I think for me, it is to walk to, through my truth and to my truth. You know, I walked these 500 miles across Spain, you know, the Santiago, you know, yes. love that. And I felt like I was able to disengage, to re-engage in a different way. And for instance, then I was just trying to figure out all these years, I grew up, I grew up in Presbyterian church and my family was quite religious, though not, you know, not extreme. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I didn't necessarily feel all of those things. Like, really? Really? Eve eats an apple, we get cramps? I don't get that. Um, <laughs> God bless, God bless. But, um, but the big thinking I did get, right? Kindness and, mm -hmm. and service. And so I think I've just finally, I kept trying to figure out, what do you, exactly do you think of spirituality? What, do you, what, what is meaningful to you? And I spent so much time thinking about it. All I needed to do was read a quote from the Dalai Lama. <laughs> like my, my temple and my religion is kindness. Boom. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, I think that is spiritually sassy. I think that's walking your own way. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you don't, you get to decide for yourself, mm, which means that. you need to take responsibility for it yourself too. Mm. Oh shit! You went there. Take responsibility <laughs> for yourself. What does it say that again? Take responsibility for yourself, and and do it for yourself. Yeah, you, you know? get you have to do it for yourself. Yeah, I mean, figure it out yourself. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, who yeah. else can tell you what's right for you? Duh. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peggy, my love, thank you so much for being on the show. Truly an honor and such a joy. I'm like profoundly grateful for you. And for us, our paths having crossed by this incredible movie that you've done that I can't wait to share with the entire audience. And and I hope that we get to go on a hike and eat lunch and pray and do all the things together at some point in person, please. And we are going to play together. And I also, um, I, can't, I can't let us go without me just saying, I was lucky enough to get to work on this film and lucky enough to do Big Joy. But there was huge teams of unbelievably talented people we're called to do this because that's what those holy men, they, they have some real sneaky powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you, truly. Thank you. I'm Sadie Simone, and you've been listening to The Spiritually Sassy Show. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and reveal this podcast. And join me next Sunday for another Spiritually Sassy Conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and I love you. <laughs>